Happy Wednesday, everyone. So I've been working on this series of talks, and uh, the idea is gifts from God. And when I was first sort of outlining them, I was penciling out what I thought were some of the most amazing, most compelling, sweetest gifts of God. And of course, I had to start with you all. I, I, I mean, the idea of us interacting as people. I mean, if you talk to nearly anyone about what they like best about life, they're going to come up with friends, they're going to come up with family, they're going to come up with their children, their pets, the, the interchanges they have with clubs they're in. And, and of course, it's not the thing, right? It's not the fact that you're in a club. It's the, it's the visiting, it's the people, it's the having fun. It's not the fact that you have a daughter or that you have a pet. It's that, it's that personal connection that you have. It's the, the intimacy, it's the friendship, it's the, it, it's the love. And so when I first started doing a little bit of research around this, I, I thought, well, maybe we're just hardwired for this. And, and in fact, anthropologists will tend to tell you that we are hardwired for it. They will say that we're, we're social animals. And if you look at any of the social animals, the, the reason that we're successful, I guess you might say, on the planet in terms of evolution is that we form these connections. And, and early on in the development of each of the social animal species, uh, it was discovered, or, or, or I should say selected for, uh, that as individuals we could never do as much as we could in groups. And so, so for instance, you know, a, a group of, well, any of the social animals can create so much, and, and whether you're looking at ants or bees or, 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 or you know, chimpanzees or dolphins or, or people, you discover that they can do amazing and wonderful things as groups and maybe not so much as people. I mean, if you think even if our, even in our defined society as it today, if you went back much time ago at all, you'd discover the mortality rate was just terrible for like settlers coming from the East Coast to the West Coast and living in isolated villages with maybe just one family or, or a few family. Things were hard and they were hard because the size of the groups were so small. Right? If someone got sick, well, the doctor's three villages away. It's suddenly all the pressure on a family. If a family is living on a, on a small farm all by itself, suddenly all the pressure is on that family to do just about anything. Now, I'm a good Oregonian. I understand the idea of rugged individualism. But, and, and, you know, these days you hear about people unplugging from the grid and making their own electricity through solar power and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but I got to tell you... If we think that we're still not social animals, it's just crazy. We are so interdependent on everyone on the whole planet. And in some ways, I think that's the greatest gift of God of all time. There are millions and millions of people out there, and we have the opportunity to be connected to all of them. Now, maybe not one-on-one, -on -one, although I'm working on it. <laughs> I'll keep you posted, right? That's one of the reasons I come here on Wednesday nights is to get to, to meet and interact with more people. But if you think about it, nearly everyone on the planet through a chain of connections is related to nearly everyone else. 
we all get the opportunity of exploring each other, maybe not one-on-one, -on -one, but through our connections and the connections to our connections and so on. And so that idea of the social animal just gets exploded. It gets multiplied. It, it, it reaches out in a web of connection that literally spans the planet. We can certainly see it in today's internet. We can see it in the United Nations. I mean, the places that we as a species are going are amazing and we owe it we owe so much of it to the fact that we are a social creature that we take great interest great pride and we're almost wired to do it to be with one another in ever greater and more wonderful ways all right quick segue here i'm i'm changing the channel some of you some of you probably recognize i'm changing the channel a little bit so i was down at one of the outlet malls the other day i was down in uh, lincoln city to it you, have you all been to like one of those factory outlet malls okay well i'd been shopping for a while and i'm not so much a shopper i mean i like it in small doses but the people I were with, big shoppers. So after a while, I'm sitting out on one of those benches with some of the other lonely men. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I don't, it's not just a guy thing, but as it happens, we were out there, uh, a couple of us guys waiting for uh, the rest of the shopping to take place. And uh, I couldn't help it. I was people watching. I kind of like people watching. And one of the things I discovered, uh, well, and I guess it's not a big discovery, but one of the things I noticed on that day is I think we're kind of defined by our relationships. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit about what I mean. So I was noticing, first of all, some of the collections, the family collections, shopping at the mall, right? So there was the, um, I would say, youngish mom and not quite teenage boy. And the two of them were not having fun that day, <laughs> right? It was like the young man wanted to go into sets of shops that she didn't want to go into, and she wanted to go into sets of shops that he had no use for at all. And there was a little tug of war. You know, he was of the mind that he could just be given the credit card and it would be a good day. And she was at, well, I got to tell you, what I noticed, though, was uh, I really didn't want to be part of that family. And it wasn't the fact of it. Because I think we've probably all been in a situation where we're, we're with family members and there's some tension going on, but they were actually kind of treating each other poorly. And what I got from it was really some of the adjectives that you might think of in terms of controlling and uh, sarcastic and unkind. And they were both being that way a little bit to each other. And almost instantly I thought, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to be part of that family. You know, maybe as individuals, these are, 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 are sweet and wonderful people, but of all, you know, it's like, my gosh, it's mother and son. They should treat each other with a little kindness. Now, I contrasted that to, I think, a really a pretty young father. He was probably 22 or 23, and he had one of those double-wide, what are they called, perambular stroller things? Yeah. And it had twins in it. And I thought, oh my gosh, double trouble. And they were, sadly, <laughs> they were wailing away, you know, as only the mortification of a parent with crying babies could have. They were wailing away. And yet, he was so bizarrely loving and patient with him. I mean, it went on for some time, and he was holding one, you know, and then it would get kind of quiet, and then he'd hold the other one, and then the first one would start up again. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know that I have that kind of patience. I think of myself as one of those ultimately patient kind of guys. And here he was, in, in my mind, kind of nearly saint-like in a way, because you could tell he was in this for the long run, 
that those babies could cry as long as they needed to or wanted to. And he was there in love and with love for them. And I thought to myself, you know, what are the kind of words that I would associate with this? You know, easygoing and loving and kind. Do you see, I think we're actually defined in many ways by the relationships we have, by the, the characteristics of how we work one-on-one -on -one and in groups of people. And if you ever describe someone, like, like if someone were to say, oh, well, you know, uh, I had never seen your sister before. What's she like? Well, you might start out, right? You might start out with her size and the color of her hair and things like that. But have you noticed that almost instantly you go to those characteristics or how she is, how someone is with other people. So you'll hear words like, oh, she's very kind or she's very patient or, or, or maybe the reverse, you know, depending on who it is. Oh, well, he's kind of short with people or he doesn't suffer fools well or, you know, or whatever it is. And I think perhaps more than anything else, the way we are with people almost defines us it almost says this is who she is. The way she is with her friends and her family and her co-workers are the way she is. The way he is with the people in his life, uh, the, the, quote, the good ones and the bad ones too, that to a large extent we are, we represent how we are with other people. Now you might be saying, well, okay, so what? Isn't it all just sort of preference? I mean, some people just are sarcastic. Some people are just uh, a little shorter with others. Some people are more easygoing. It's part of the spice of life. And I do agree with that. But I want to look back again to the idea of this being God's gift to us, the idea of our connections. And I really think what it is, what is the connection? Well, it's love with a capital L. Love is what makes this world go around. Love is the basis for, I think, all the connections we have, even the ones at work, even the ones with our neighbors, even the people we don't know all that well, shopkeepers and so on. It is the reason that we want to say hi to people. It is the reason that we want to make friends. It is the reason that we're concerned if a family member isn't doing very well. It's love. And so if the gift that God is giving us through all these connections, if we're representing love, if you will, in a way, aren't we being God as love as we create these relationships, as we're, we're in connection with someone, whether it's friendship or love, whether it's a sexual relationship or a platonic one, isn't it God's love that's coming through? I want it to shine brightly. So it does matter to me. I mean, I may have my rough points, but I think I want to work on them. I do have my issues from now and then around impatience or, or around, in fact, the phrase not suffering fools. Well, I, actually, that has been applied to me before. I want to work on those things because my theory is anything less than love with a capital L that's coming out of me is I'm covering up a part of God. God's gift is love, and of course, human love has to come through humans. So I'm fulfilling that channel of love. I'm, I'm here to be love. I'm, I'm here to be friendship. I'm here to be a gracious coworker. I'm, I'm here to suffer everyone, not suffer them, love them, right? 
And so if I need to do a little work on that, I guess I'm up for it. I guess that's my plan. And so how do I move forward in this? How do we go from just the idea of a social animal into something more intentional? And in fact, uh, I got a big laugh when I was looking up the, uh, the material on social animals and the whole idea of anthropology. I found this article that was, uh, that was so funny. It was written by Ethan Stone. And let me just read this little bit to you. He says, it was Aristotle himself who first described humans as social animals. And indeed, his observation from 350 BC has been borne out by a considerable body of research in the field of evolutionary anthropology. Human beings have developed in such a way that gathering in groups is not merely advantageous, but is essential for the survival of both the individual and the species. Therefore, Given the innate disposition of humans to congregate, it seems reasonable to ask, why didn't anyone come to my party? <laughs> it's because we're not paying attention to the quality of the connection. You know, we're a little more sophisticated. It used to be that as long as we were warm, we could hang out in the same cave together, and it would be a good thing. But we've gotten a little more sophisticated. Now, now uh, in order to be uh, permitted into the cave, we have to have some of the social graces. We, we have to have a kind of love that, that perhaps is a little more pronounced, is a, perhaps a little more calculated. Some of those rough edges maybe best be let go of if we really want to enjoy love, if we want to be part of God's love in the world. And so I did a, a little study here, a little more research, and I found about four or five things that we can actively work on to have people at our party. Four or five things that we can actively work on to be love, to actually stand for that thing that we all desire, that thing that brings friends together, that things that keeps marriages together, that, that things that makes uh, families sweet and honorable and loving. And I just want to share them with you shortly. First of all, good connections are encouraging. Good connections, good people, good friends, good family members encourage each other. We say to each other things like, well, of course you can do that. You'll be a whiz at it. We'll say things like, oh, don't worry. You should just try it. Just try it. Do you know what I mean? I remember as a small child, my mom said to me, and I still remember it. I can picture her in my head saying, I bet there isn't anything you couldn't do if you put your mind to it. Do you know how encouraging something that is to a small child when he's come home <laughs> from choir practice and it didn't go so well? <laughs> when we encourage one another, it's God at work. It's absolutely God at work. And so often we take the very people closest to us a bit on the for granted side, don't we? We already know they're bright. We already know they're, they have great talents. And so we don't, we don't encourage them because we don't think they need it. But really, that's probably what they want more than almost anything else, is the knowledge that you are for them, that you are here to support them in their ideas. The next thing I want to talk about, uh, just really briefly, is being available. 
Now, I know we all have to spend a certain amount of our time in the doingness of life. I totally get that. Most of us have nine-to-five jobs. Most of us have obligations, and, 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 and I get it. But if we can't be available for the people that we love, it kind of doesn't matter, does it? What are you putting in the time for if it isn't to be available to love and be loved? I think enough said on that one. And yet, how often do you observe people in their own family groupings that are there, but they're not there? They're still back at work. They're, they're still working over some troubling thing that's going on, right? Right when their kids are there and want to share, right when their, their loved ones are with them, right when their best friend is in the room, they're actually somewhere else. The next thing I want to do is suggest that we could be a little bit more timely and pertinent, that we could be a little bit more in the moment. When things don't go our way, let's not stuff it down and hold it for a rainy day when we can let it all out at once and have someone think we're crazy. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever experienced that? I remember I was dating someone. Oh, gosh, it's probably about 10 years ago now. And I was dating this person. I thought, oh, this person is really lovely. Gosh, we get along so well. Never a complaint, nothing going on. Oh, my gosh, it's like I can just be myself and be free and... You know, he doesn't seem to mind my rough edges or any of it. And then all of a sudden, one day, it was like a volcano erupted. And you did this wrong three weeks ago in 15 minutes. And that kind of creeped me out, right? Because what I realized was, not only were there some things that had been kind of repressed, but he was like keeping a list. Right? The naughty list. Have you ever been on the naughty list before? Yeah. It's not just for Santa Claus. It kind of freaked me out. So, so let us please be timely. Timely in our praise. Timely in our complaints. It's really the only way we can make a difference in the world. Because otherwise you come off as a total crazy person when you blow up. The next thing I want to talk about, and this is a hard one. This is so hard because the people we love are human, we want to help them. Trouble is, they consider it interfering. They're right. It's interfering. Unless you are asked to help, unless, I may have to say this five times, because I'm someone that gets it wrong more often than not, unless you are asked, your help is interfering. Now, I, I know it sounds crazy. I, I know, especially around our kids, especially around our loved ones, especially around the people that are most important to us, oftentimes we've fallen into a hole so many times, and then we see someone that we love heading right towards it, right? It's like, oh my gosh, they're getting close to that first drink or that first bad relationship. Or that first, do you know what I mean? It's like we've been there. We know how painful it is. We know that life itself will be altered, perhaps irrevocably for the worst. And yet, and yet, they're going to have to experience it. Now, if they ask for their help, I'm all in. 
If, if, if they ask us, you know, gee, Larry, I remember that you've been sober now for, you know, 20-some years. Uh, uh, do you think I have trouble drinking? It's like, all right, <laughs> let's talk. It'll be fun. Well, for me, maybe, you know. But, uh, but if the ask isn't there, if you don't have the permission, it's just interfering. It is just interfering. The last thing I want to talk about, um, I have a little story to go with it. So a couple was chatting with some guests when the topic of marriage counseling came up. The wife, very sure of herself, commented, oh, we'll never need counseling. My husband and I have an excellent relationship. Why, he uh, majored in journalism in college, and I majored in theater arts. Well, one of the guests said, well, how exactly does that help your marriage? Oh, the wife explained, he communicates extremely well, and I can act like I'm listening. Communication. Communication is the thing that is the basis of all of our connections with other people. It is how we tell people through our body language, through the words we use, through the, the tone, through the pacing of our voice, all of the myriad ways that we communicate. It's how we say I love you. It's how we say you're important to me. It's how we say that, that you matter and what you do matters to me. And so often it isn't what you do. It isn't even what you think. It's how you communicate it to the people that you care about that lets them know that you love them. When we take the time, really take the time to listen, this is a huge gift and a huge part of communication. Often we think of communication as the outward flow of information. But equally important, perhaps more important, is the listening. Have you ever been with people that you can tell when you're speaking they're already figuring out what they're going to say? You can kind of see the smoke. Well, I, I mean, you know, kind of a little bit. Uh, and sometimes they'll even kind of clip off the end of your sentences because they're so ready right? And it's not that they don't love you. It's not that they don't care. It's not that they don't have anything value to say, valuable to say. But have they really listened to you? Or have they keyed in on one or two words at the first part of your sentence, and they're already off to the next thing? You see, this isn't really listening. This isn't really a good communication, because they're completing your thoughts in their language. And so they're not hearing all of it. And when we do that to someone else, gosh, the communication may go faster, but what are we really communicating? Are we really making ourselves heard? Are we really understanding what's going on? And so if you want to get better at communication, I would suggest the best place to start is just listening. Have it be okay to have some pauses in between what they have said and what you have said. In the process of listening, you're, you're internalizing, you're saying, oh, I see, I see, this is what she feels, this is what she thinks, and hopefully you are even getting some of the feeling and not just the words, and it's okay to ask. You can say something like, well, how did you feel when that happened, right? Because we want the whole, we love them enough that we want the whole picture. Then we'll have a little pause, maybe. Wow, now I've really understood what she said or what he said. What is my take on that? Now I'll think about it, 
and now I'll speak about it. Now, you might say, gosh, Larry, uh, conversations must really dra drag on at your house. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I guess maybe, maybe. But I would say for the people that matter to you, isn't it worth it? Gosh. They did a, a survey, and I know it's not Christmas time, even though we had Christmas in July here last month. Uh, they did a survey of what kids wanted most from their parents during the holidays. And of course, high on the list were some of the things that start with I, like iPhones and iPads and things like that. But they didn't have to get very far down on the list where things like to be understood by my mother came in or to spend quality time with my father. It was surprising to me how many kids wanted to be understood wanted to get that sense of quality time, of connecting with their parents in something more than just, uh, you know, who's picking you up in soccer practice and, and, you know, who's making the lunches and who's making sure to pick you up after school. You know, that's the stuff of being a family. But what about the heart of being a family? That's what kids want. That's what everyone wants. So to quickly review... If we want to get better at connecting to people the way God connects with people, we're going to be more encouraging. We're going to be more present, more available. We're going to be a little more timely in our feedback, both good and negative. We're not going to interfere. We'll offer perhaps a, a hand of help, um, but if it's not immediately taken, we'll just back off because people have the right to make even extraordinarily bad mistakes. <laughs> they have that right. And finally, finally, blessedly, we're going to listen. We're going to get ever better at listening. For homework this week, I know that we've partially define this idea of connection. And what I'd like you to do is look over some of the most important people connections in your own life. So it might be with a family member. It might be with a best friend. It might be with some of the key players at work. I'd like to have you take a look at both the highlight and the low light one. So, so pick one that's maybe a little bit rocky, maybe a brother that you haven't talked to in a really long time and for good reason. Or, or maybe it's someone at work that gives you a bad time. Pick one connection kind of relationship that isn't what you'd like, and then pick one that's really strong. Pick a best friend or a family member that, oh my gosh, the two of you are, are just like this together. And I'd like for your homework just to do a compare and contrast. Why do you think these are the way they are? Could it be... Some of these issues, could it be that some encouragement might shift a little bit on the negative one? Could it be you're noticing that one of the reasons that a relationship goes so well is that you really listen to that person? You really care enough to listen. I'd like to think that over time, we can upscale that more negative relationship into something more positive. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be your best friend. It doesn't mean you have to have a, a love relationship with someone that you work with. In fact, you know, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> but is there any reason on this planet why we can't all be a bit more loving? If we are indeed defined by these relationships, by these connections, 
I would like the definition of Larry to be a beautiful one. I would like to be known when someone else is people watching at the mall. Look at that guy. He's just sitting there, but you can tell he doesn't mind at all waiting for his friend to finish shopping. Wouldn't that be a nice way to be thought of? Look at that guy over there. Isn't he sweet? You might be laughing a bit, but I think when an all is said and done, is it what we've accomplished or is it how we've felt about it? Is it the things we've done in this life or is it how we relate to the people that matter to us? I'm going to close with a, a fun quote of Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind. This is from the Science of Mind textbook, and it's about friendship. He says, do we wish to have friends? We must begin to image that ideal relationship. Be it social or otherwise, we begin to sense and feel the presence of friends, to enjoy them in our mentality, not as an illusion, but as a personal reality, not as a dream, but as an experience to declare that the presence of friendship is here now. In order to have this friendship enduring, true, really worthwhile, and a thing of beauty, we should cultivate an attitude of friendship towards everybody and everything. The one who has learned to love all people will find plenty of people to return that love. Let us pray. There is one life, one love, one joy, one peace, one happiness. It is that one thing that I call God. And what I know about God, oh my gosh, could there be a bigger container for that thing called love? Here on this evening, I recognize the love of God right in this room as it is everywhere, connecting each one of us in a web of such sweetness, such delight. And I know for myself that I am simply ever more willing to continue cultivating that, to, to meet people that I have never met before in open friendship, to uh, work on some of the relationships I have that are not at their best, to really understand that I am God as love in this world. And for the purposes of God expressing love to humankind, I'm that human. And as it is true for me, I know there's a willingness on the part of each person in this room to extend that hand in friendship, even, even occasionally when it seems difficult, that there is that ability for each person here to recognize in themselves God as love. God as love. And so it is with gratitude that I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law. I simply let it be. I know that God says yes to this prayer. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you, my friends. Thank you.